Thanks for listening to the Life Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Mark Borg. For any other messages or other resources, please visit us at lcboise.com. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. We've been teaching now for a while in this series called Authorized. Authorized. I want to continue along these lines. If you've missed out on the other parts, of course, there's no excuse. If you, you know, they're available to you free of charge. So if you want to understand this, I think it would be very, very helpful and beneficial to your life. And I want to go a little bit further with it today. You, you, you remember that many people today believe that everything that happens in life is up to God. That there are many people that are taught this. Many people are taught this even in church. So if you've been in church very long, uh, you may have accepted this as a just a truth without really investigating further. But People believe that everything from the, you know, the macro down to the micro is controlled by God. Everything. You don't really have any decision in it, ultimately. You know, what you had for breakfast, you thought that was up to you? No. That was God's plan. I mean, some laugh, but you know, people believe this. Uh, <laughs> the way you combed your hair. You were going to go right. And then you ended up going left. You know why you did that, right? That was the plan of God. You didn't really have a choice. And there are many individuals that think that's the case concerning all things in life that God in his sovereignty has predetermined and made all these choices for us. We're not really, we're just going along and whatever we decide to do wasn't really up to us. It was, it was really him that made this decision. But as we've seen through this this uh, series, we've come across, across quite a few scriptures that say opposite of that. Quite a few verses that, that demonstrate that, no, that is not how the universe functions. In fact, you know scriptures that are very, state it very clear that it is not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. And you see the will of God, you see what he wants, but reality is not everyone is coming to a, to a knowledge of the truth. Not everyone does know him. Not everyone does repent. He sure wants them to. That's his will. But there is our part of the equation. And when it comes down to this subject of authority, we realize that God originally designed that the, that the uh, planet would be run by people. He gave mankind dominion over the earth. And then, of course, through that temptation, Adam's sin turned dominion over to the devil. Uh, God had an elaborate plan, and Jesus snuck in here and got it back and defeated death, hell, and the grave. But then he turned it over to the church. And now the body of Christ has been authorized to go forth in his name. And so we carry that authority to do things in the earth. Now, now last week we were sharing with you a good bit about uh, the name of Jesus. It's a wonderful name. The name of Jesus. And I'm not saying just the sound of J-E-S-U-S. -S. There are people that have that name. I'm not saying that sound is so wonderful and is better than Bob or, you know, John. <laughs> when we say the name of Jesus, it must uh, carry much more depth than that. 
And we discovered that when we use his name, we are acting in his stead. We're basically saying, if Jesus were here in the flesh, of course he's not, he would do such and such. He's not. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, but we're here in his place. And we are going to do exactly the same thing that he would do if he were here in the flesh. That's what it means to do things in Jesus' name. It's incredibly powerful and amazingly, uh, amazingly huge responsibility at the same time. And so knowing this fact, we should take it very seriously. Okay, I get to pray in his name and speak in his name and speak and, 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 and teach. And I get to live my life and, and do church and all this stuff in his name. Okay, in his power, in his authority, giving glory to him. Uh, I don't think we should play with guns. And, you know, anyone think we should? Likewise, I don't think we should toy around with the name of the Lord. I see so many verses tied to the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Some of you don't know that. That's important to know. But listen, you call upon who? Just call on God. No, call upon the name of the Lord is how the scripture says it. That name is so very precious and so very powerful. I think we should avoid using the name of Jesus or God really in any form or fashion, any of the things that are the ways that God is defined and described in scripture. Uh, we should avoid using it in any other way than with complete respect with total reverence and, you know, with an awareness of power, an awareness of influence, an awareness of what that name means. In other words, we should, have, we should say these things with purpose. Everybody with me? Okay. On purpose, with purpose, we know, we know what it means. Uh, you know, even today there are many Jews that will not speak the name of God or even write the name of God. And, and it, it, some of that goes back to, um, it goes back to the Ten Commandments. You know, the commandment says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And, and there's a real respect there that says, I don't want to even come close to this. I don't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole where I might dishonor or, re or disrespect the name of God. Because they won't even say it or write it. And... Uh, Obviously, we're not going there because I believe we're instructed to say the name. We're, we're, we're taught to use the name. But if we do it flippantly, I'm not for that at all. I don't think any of us ought to casually say the name of Jesus. You know what I mean? I ought to flippantly or jokingly or irreverently talk about the Lord ever at, at, at any time in, in that way. Uh, you know, some of you, you come out of the world, and um, before you got saved, maybe you used the name of the Lord, Jesus or God, and you attached other words to it, and it was very dishonorable, disrespectful. You had no reverence for him at all. Uh, once you get saved, it's time to clean that up right away. I didn't realize some people with thought patterns, and it might take some work. You got to retrain yourself to think. But when you know what's invested in the name, you'll do it. Because if you use it casually, it won't work for you when you need to use it seriously. If we just throw it out every other word, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I'm not a fan of at all. 
I'm not a fan of, oh my God. You know, just kind of throwing it out when you're surprised or shocked by something. Oh my God. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Why? Honor, respect. I don't go there. I don't, everybody ready for something else? I'm not a big fan at all. In fact, zero, zero fan of OMG. I know I'm speaking to the texting generation and, you know, and people right, but really, I mean, what does his name mean to you? When speaking about the Lord, does it carry weight? Is it reverence? Is it respectful? When you run up against a storm or a devil that wants to take you out and you begin to speak in his name, it needs to mean something to you. It can't be like, oh my God. I'm, attack. I'm under attack. <laughs> Hallelujah. Everybody okay? <laughs> when this, see, what I want to do, and I just want to give you several scriptures here, if I can squeeze them in. But I want, I, I want, I want to help you to think about the, very, the gravity that that name carries, the weight that it carries. It means so much. It will absolutely transform a life when understood and used properly. But it can be, and the enemy wants this to happen, wants you to not use it at all because he's afraid of it, or use it in a disrespectful, demeaning, light way. Either one of those takes away its punch. Let's go ahead and read in Hebrews chapter, chapter 1. Uh, notice in verse 1, it reads, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Notice that, that focus. He obtained a what? A more excellent name. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. But when... Uh, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And, and so this is a, a comparison to some degree with Jesus versus angels. Now, thank God for angels and their ability, their power and their might and so forth. But Jesus, how many know, is not in the same category as an angel? If we were to go a little bit deeper, you and I are not even in the same category of, as, an, as an angel. God really actually created us as higher beings than angels. But the Lord Jesus is not an angel, never has been, never will be. I know there is a religion in, in the world today called Jehovah's Witnesses, and we pray for them, want them to be saved. Uh, but but they, they teach that Jesus was an angel, that he was Michael the archangel. And, and you can see by this passage, if you had no other Bible verses at all, that that's not true. Because he's saying that angels worship him. He is not on that same plane. The angels worship him because he is in a category all by himself. He is the Son of God, and, and he is Jesus. But he has this name. It is a more excellent name. Now, how many know you can still identify some individuals today that are 
Uh, they've obtained a name by inheritance. In other words, their name carries weight. It means something. It carries some respect because of others who have previously had that name. You know, family members. I, I think of people like Franklin Graham. Okay, he's got an outstanding life and ministry today. But how many know his dad made that name mean something? And that's the Lord's work. His dad, the great evangelist, and uh, you know Billy Graham. Uh, I think about the name, the name Bush. You know, that means something because we've had two presidents with that name. And likewise, different names are carried on through uh, different generations, and they mean something because of inheritance. But then I think about Jesus. Where did he get his name, and why is it so powerful? Why does it mean so much? Why does hell shake at that name? And why does heaven stand at attention? Why do we sing it? Why do we worship him and proclaim that name? Uh, how many know Jesus didn't get his name in heaven? Meaning, prior to Bethlehem, prior to Christmas, prior to him being born on the earth, he wasn't called Jesus up until that point. Jesus was a, you know, a Hebrew name, an Israel, Israelite name, uh, but it was a special name, but still it was a human name. Before that, we never find it in Scripture. He was known as the Word. John 1 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Word took on the name Jesus when he was born in Bethlehem. And so it wasn't based upon anything he did there. And obviously, he didn't, have an, he didn't need an inheritance in heaven. I mean, he's God. He has all things. So no inheritance necessary, none required. But his name, watch, it carries great authority now because it is directly tied to what he did while he was here. Now, now listen, even when he was born and then lived his life of 33 or 33 and a half years on the earth, his name meant something then because he is called in Scripture the last Adam. Just as the first Adam had authority, had dominion in the earth, though he gave it away, Jesus, because he did not come bearing a sin nature, because he bypassed the seed of Joseph and came straight from the Father, came through Mary. He was able to come into the earth sinless and righteous in spirit. He was alive. He was the last Adam. His name still had authority. And so he would use, and even during his earthly ministry, the disciples were given the right to use that name, and they would cast out demons. They would heal people because, because he was the last Adam. But still, today, the name of Jesus means more than it ever did back then. And the reason it means more today is because it's all tied to the resurrection and what he accomplished. Well, through the whole plan, the death, burial, the resurrection, the ascension, his name is tied to that event. And whenever we speak it, whenever we pray in it, whenever we declare it, whenever we worship him, we are basically drawing attention to all that he did. I, I, I want to, if, if, if you can handle some food, I, I want to give you some scriptures here and, and, and show you this relationship. And I won't take time to have everybody turn to these, but you may want to write them down and, and, and meditate on this because I, I, my hope is that at, by the end of our, our short time here we have today that the name means more than it did before you came in. That the next time you let it escape your lips, the, this something shakes. Next time it escapes your lips, heaven stands up. Demons flee. 
Because it's all built into the name, but it, it only works when we know it. And if we'll understand this to a greater degree and have a greater revelation, I tell you, we will not be flippant, but we will be powerful as all get out. Okay? And so listen to these verses. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, speaking of him, reads, And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Now I want you to notice this, this connection here. Declared to be the Son by the resurrection from the dead. When is Jesus declared to be the Son? At the resurrection. Resurrection, sonship. Say, wasn't he the Son of God before that? Yes, but not in this verse. He was the only begotten Son. I want to talk to you about something else. He was declared at the resurrection. And then here's another one. Acts chapter 13. Notice here verse 33. 1333. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. Uh, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. I don't think it's uncommon at all for us to think of Jesus as the begotten son, or we'd read John 3.16 and say, the only begotten son. But how many know this is not talking about Bethlehem here? What is it talking about? It says, when he, has, when he raised up Jesus. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he became the begotten son of God. Begotten means born. When Jesus, he was born in Bethlehem, in, a, in that way, in the, in the, he got his physical body, but when he was raised from the dead, he was born from death. And he is declared at that time to be the begotten Son of God. That's what the psalmist prophesied. When the psalmist prophesied, you are my son, today I have begotten you, it's not talking about Christmas. It's talking about resurrection. Did you know that? I tell you, that's why, again, we're getting into this, why the name means so much. It's not just tied to his physical birth, it's tied to the resurrection. And whenever you say his name, resurrection should be all over your brain and all through your heart. We are declaring it by saying it. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, here's some more. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God look might taste death for everyone so when Jesus went to the cross it was not any kind of normal dying it wasn't even just special because it was the son of God dying what made it unique and what feeds into his name is the fact that he died for everyone is the fact that he tasted death for everyone. He didn't just die, he tasted death for everyone. Okay, this is heavy duty, all right? Uh, you know that his death then was more than physical. His death was not just a physical death, it was the death that resulted of, from the sin of the world, it was spiritual in nature. Our problem was not just physical. 
our problem was spiritual. You know, the reason death is in the human race is not because of a physical problem. We have a physical malfunction. No, it's a spiritual problem. That's how death got in. You remember back, in, back over there in Genesis chapter 2 uh, when uh, the Lord instructed Adam, he said, of all the trees of the, of the garden, all their fruit, you can freely eat. Have at it, man. Go for it. He said, but leave that one alone. That tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, don't touch that one. He said, don't eat, don't eat of its fruits. What, what would happen? He said, for the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And he ate, and did he die? Well, he didn't die physically. He died physically much, much later, but he died spiritually that very moment. And so what Jesus came to redeem was not just to stop people from dying physically. He came to redeem them from spiritual death. When he tasted death for everyone, it wasn't just tasting death from a physical standpoint, just to cure disease and, and that type of thing. It was to bring spiritual life to all people. All right? And, and so that's why when we see this, we see not only that Jesus tasted death for everyone, we see in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it reads, For he who knew no sin, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Did Jesus take our sin? Did he bear our sin? Yes, but more. He became sin. Yeah, he had it. You could say he had it on him. He bore it. He took it to the cross. But he literally became it. Can you see why the suffering of Jesus was so intense? I don't know that we can wrap our mind around it, but when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying for those three hours, you know, and committing himself to the will of God, he's sweating as with drops of blood. Man, this is heavy duty what he's about to undergo. And then not only does he take the physical beating and the physical whipping, when he goes to the cross, he's not just dying like the crooks on the side of him are. They were dying a physical death. He was bearing the sin of the world. He became the sin of the world. He was tasting death for all of humanity. I can't even wrap my mind around that. But all this is tied into his name. This is what his name invokes. That this is what he did. Okay? Galatians 3.13 reads, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So did Jesus bear the curse? Sure. But more than that, he became a curse. He literally became the object of despise, the object to be, to be shamed. Why? Because that's what we were spiritually. We bore all that, we, we, we were all that nastiness and ugliness. And so Jesus became all that in our place. This is why the scripture calls Jesus the firstborn from the dead. Romans 8 is one example. He, he is called the firstborn from the dead. He's no longer the only begotten son. Remember, there's the rest of us. And after Jesus was raised from the dead, now whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And First uh, John chapter 3 says... Uh, beloved, or behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us 
that we should be called children of God. Some translations will just say sons of God. How many sons of God are there? Not just one. Jesus was the only born son, begotten son. But then when he was born from the dead, he opened the floodgates and, and, and made it available so that there could be many sons and daughters, many children of God. He's called down the firstborn among many brethren. So when Jesus then was born from the dead, he was the first of many. I'm one in a big group. When I was born again, I, was, I came into a position of sonship with God. Okay? This being the case, this is what that name should mean to us. When I say, Jesus, what should go on in your brain? What should go on in our understanding? Jesus, it is everything that he accomplished. It is everything that he did in becoming a curse and being made sin and being uh, all the stuff that he became so that I could be born out of it or born again or made alive as a result. When I speak his name, it carries the weight of everything he did. Can you see why? Uh, and let's look at Philippians 2. Can you see why the devil wants you and me? Uh, he wants us to not know it or to flippantly use it, to casually approach it, to sing it and think about something else. Because this name is a flashback, you guys. This is a serious flashback to some butt whooping, to some serious defeat. When Jesus went in the devil's own backyard and stripped him of his power and took all of that authority and all of that, all of that stuff away, it's all tied up in his name now. When he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, go therefore in my name, whenever we speak the name, everything theirs is coming back. When we know it, hmm. That's when, it, that's when it, it, it makes a difference. That's when it changes lives. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, notice what it reads here. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this name now, because of what it represents, what, what does it represent? What is it tied to? Everything that he did. All his accomplishment, his great defeat, how he became uh, what we were so we could become what he is. And his name is tied to that. That's why we call upon the name and we're saved. That's why we lay hands on the sick in his name and they're healed. That's why we speak in new tongues. It's all in his name. His name opens, the, like I said, the floodgates for all of this stuff to transpire. But have you noticed in life a lot of stuff has a name? Not only is his name above our name. Our personal name, who we are, we voluntarily terribly bow our knee to that name. Every time they, they come up with a new disease, one of the first things they do is name it. 
They give it a name. That's good news. You know it is? You know we should be thankful that things have names? Especially bad stuff. Why? Because we know, oh cool, there's another name that Jesus' name is over. His name is above that name. And if, that, if the name of something ugly and something uh, evil and something harmful is a coming against and attacking and bringing harm to your life, you've got access to a name that is above that name. I don't know, some of these diseases these days I can't pronounce, you know, and they're long and, they're, and uh, some people become experts in that. I don't recommend that unless you're, unless you're a doctor, you know, you should be simple concerning evil. Be excellent concerning what is good. Uh, but he's got these long names, but that's good. You, you just need to learn one, and then, a, and then a, a name that's higher than that. Why is that? Because when I say, in Jesus' name, I command, whatever that thing is, to go, to leave. Which name stands? Does the name of Jesus bow, or does that disease bow? I'm telling you, this is the way God set this up. His name, when spoken with respect and authority and faith. You remember last week, there was that man, uh, well, last week we read it, it happened a while ago. That man that was at the beautiful gate, and he was crippled. And they spoke to him in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went on to explain how it wasn't our holiness that did this. He said, but it is his name through faith in his name that made this man walk, made him whole. All right? Faith in his How do I have faith in his name? These verses. This is how I have faith. I say, what does that name mean? When I speak it, what does it contain? What does it represent? What happens in the realm of the Spirit? What happens to the cells of my body when it hears that name? When you know what it means, when you know what it carries, you know the weight of Jesus' victory over death, then you say that name and it sounds different in the Spirit. It does. It comes in many different languages. But in the Spirit, it sounds the same. You know what it sounds like? Victory. You know what it sounds like? forgiveness. You know what it sounds like? Access. You know what it sounds like? Authority. It sounds like the power of God. You know what it sounds like? Jesus himself speaking. It sounds like the voice of Almighty God being declared in the earth, but it happens to come through you and me. But we have to know what it means. We know what it carries. We know what, what weight and what gravity it carries. And then we speak it. Not casually, not OMG, not in, in any kind of other light way or attaching it to something that means nothing, but only on purpose, only with intention, only with focus, only filled with faith. We speak that name. And I'm telling you, heaven says, there they go. I'm telling you, hell is freaking out. I'm telling you, the devil's having a flashback. I'm telling you, these things, all these names are subject to that name. What does it mean to you? Huh? What weight does it carry in your life? Ephesians chapter 1, it, it, tells that it, it tells us that it is a name that is far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. As we recognize this, I tell you, 
That name is above sickness. It is above poverty. It is above depression. It is above whatever thing might come against and attack your life. This is a greater name because his conquest is all wrapped up in that name. Let's avoid at any time, can you? Saying it religiously. Vain repetition. Just saying it out of rote. Just saying it out of a, just kind of a memorized, I'm a Christian, so I say this and we sing this. No, no, no. As much as you can, the Lord will help you to do it. Make it precious every time. And make it powerful every time. With great respect, with great reverence, and with great boldness do we speak and do we declare that name and I tell you in that name lives change in that name eternities are set in order in that name bodies are healed and curses are broken and lives are radically changed for his glory and for his honor father today I thank you for working in us I thank you for working in our hearts helping and causing us to see We hope you enjoyed this message. Find our other messages on iTunes or visit our website at lcboise.com and follow us on social media, Life Church Boise. Thank you and have a blessed day.